Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We ask that you would take a moment and reflect on the context in which this message was given. We are a new church serving in neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Here we are seeking to practice the way of Jesus together, joining God in His renewing work. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We are not perfect people, and we do not have all of the answers. We believe these teachings are formational to our lives as we seek to become more like Christ and love people in these neighborhoods. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. Before the service started, we were kind of meeting and we pray at like 10 o'clock and I was telling everyone I planned an 18-minute sermon today. Yeah, and I know I've been going long and I know our service is long. We're trying to keep it, we're trying to be respectful of time, but I said I planned an 18-minute sermon and some Broncos fan was like, 18-minute sermon, 18, eight, that's Peyton Manning's number, 18. We're going to win. Yeah. It's like, so funny how we connect those dots, but um, we're starting a new series today and I'm, I'm very excited uh, about it and uh, it's a sermon about a sermon. So... If you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, uh, we'll, we'll start in there. Um, I, last week, I, I uh, let my children, uh, the two oldest, Micah and Sophia, watch a movie called uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched that movie or read that book, part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, they're both kind of, Micah's five and Sophia's eight, so they're kind of like right at that age where that that if you know the story, the author C.S. Lewis wrote for children of about that age. And so it was so much fun to watch just the joy and intrigue on their eyes as they watched this movie. And uh, as they were uh, kind of, uh, for the first time, heard just the brilliance of C.S. Lewis storytelling that, that children just, just love. And this world called Narnia that C.S. Lewis created out of nothing. It was so fun to watch them because it took me back to my childhood. And I loved the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I, and part of the reason I, I loved it, and, and this is, I, I love reading books. I love a good story. And uh, I think that I, I love reading because I had this cousin that used to read to me when I was a child. And he would read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. So he would go through the line with the wardrobe and the horse and his boy and the silver chair and all these just fun stories. And he would read them to me, and I just fell in love with a good story. And, and now I read uh, all the time. I love to read all kinds of different stories. But as, uh, as I read, I developed kind of a bad habit of, with reading. And, and this was reminded of me as I was going through Chronicles of Narnia. But I, when I read, I, I go to the last page and I read the ending. I, I do that, all the, like I started as a child and, and I do that now because unlike a movie, you, you could just at any minute open up and see like, okay, where's this going? And, and I love to do that because I love to kind of see where the journey ends up and then go backwards and, and kind of see how we get there. So it's like, I love the movie Memento because I'm like, oh, how did we get here? You know, um, and I kind of just kind of developed this habit of whenever I read, I go to the last page and hear the ending. And as we start this series on the Sermon on the Mount, as we start looking at this great teaching of Jesus, this teaching that was probably some of the greatest words that have ever been written when you look at what they've done for the lives of individuals and whole societies. This is something that forms us, it's transformative. I wanna start in the ending. And so some of you know the Sermon on the Mount, some of you are familiar uh, with the language of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but there's uh, the ending, 
the, the, the sermon ends with a short parable and in an expression of amazement. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus is bringing a conclusion to the sermon, and he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell, fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, Saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So a parable about a home builder, about two home builders. And what Jesus is doing here is he's wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount. He's doing something that is, I think, very significant. He's connecting belief with action. Jesus is connecting belief with action. And what we find is that believing in Jesus means doing what Jesus says. It's following his teaching. And there's this connection between what we actually believe as human beings and how we live. And believing in Jesus means doing what he says. Believing in Jesus also means doing what he does. And if you want to read ahead what happens after he gives this message, you see Jesus immediately starting to live out his teaching. And the first person, the first people that he encountered, a leper, um, a Roman soldier, he, he puts this into action where all of these, these things that he's teaching are, are real. And he says, this is what it looks like when you live out this teaching. So he makes this connection between what we believe and then how we act. And he uses this parable of the two home builders. And what's interesting is, as you read, uh, read through this, uh, it, what we find is that the, the, the two houses represent not good and bad construction practices. They, they don't represent like, the, the, they don't say the materials of the house was bad or the blueprints of the house were bad or uh, the, the expertise of the builder are bad. Uh, but what we find is that the wise and foolish choices are in the sight of the construction where they're deciding to build. And so you might have a house that has all of the right material and the right blueprints and the right plan, but if it's not built on top of a foundation uh, or built in in, in the right location, that house can crumble when storms and floods hit it. What we have Jesus doing here is talking about where we place our foundation and our faith. And as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, kind of with this idea of these are Jesus' teachings, and he wants us to connect his teachings to our actions, um, there's a lot of different ways to approach this sermon. But what I want to do this uh, month is approach it uh, through kind of the angle of what does it mean for our family? What does the Sermon on the Mount mean for our family? How does the teachings of Jesus affect how we interact as a home? And it could be us as a church family, this this growing group of people that are committed to doing life together, or it could be simply your home, you with your children, you with your parents, you with your spouse, your siblings. 
Is it possible that we can kind of reimagine how we live as a family through the lens of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? So that's kind of what I want to deal with this month. And so we start with what is the Sermon on the Mount? If you are familiar with uh, the scripture in Jesus, you might know. But when we think what is the Sermon on the Mount, um, it's simply uh, Jesus' teaching. And as we read it, it sounds like it's kind of like the sermon that he gives at one point in his ministry. Um, But what we also think is that it's probably kind of like his general teachings that he gives wherever he goes. It's not just something he gave one time, but this is probably like Jesus is teaching. Uh, And I was uh, invited to to speak uh, on Friday at Arizona Christian University uh, in a geography course. My friend teaches a geography course, and he's like, do you want to come speak? And I'm like, I don't know anything about, like, math or shapes. Or... He's like, yeah, that's geometry. I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, what's geography? So, but I, I've actually gone, and, I, and I've taught there for, like, three years this class, where I get to kind of look at, like, my experience with, like, global missions and, and just kind of talk about what the church looks like in different parts of the world. And this has become, like, a teaching for me that I can give over and over. And I've, I, it's easy for me to hop in, and, and I can give the same teaching that I gave last year and the year before that. And some of the details might, might change, but the essence of the teaching is the same. Um, and I, I think it's kind of like that with the Sermon on the Mount. These teachings of Jesus, we think that he gave them, obviously, this, this one time, but he was giving them over and over again. So the Sermon on the Mount is the essence of all that Jesus continuously and habitually taught his disciples. So if you want to know what Jesus is like, you want to know what he's all about, We read through the Sermon on the Mount. It's his, uh, almost his magnum opus of this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what God is up to in the world. And there's three types of material that are dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount. The first is the Beatitudes. This is probably what most of us know when we think of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And it's the declaration of blessedness. And that's what we'll talk about today. But there, another type of material is kind of the ethical admonitions, kind of this is what it looks like uh, when you're living out the kingdom of God here and now. And then the fulfillment and deeper understanding of Torah. And for, uh, for the Jewish people, the Torah is what gave them identity when it comes to covenant relationship with God. And Jesus is helping them navigate what does that covenant relationship with God's people and him look like. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll hear Jesus say things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. And he's, there's this kind of ex- expanding on this is what this covenant relationship looks like. He says that he is the, the fulfillment of this at one point in this message. So these are kind of the three types of material that in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and let's start in Matthew 5, verse 1, with these Beatitudes. Verse 1 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pretty powerful words from Jesus. And these words would have really kind of been revolutionary for the people who heard them the first time because Jesus speaks of a blessedness that comes with the kingdom of God. He speaks of those who are blessed. And oftentimes when we think of blessing, oftentimes, especially in in this time period, there's certain things that would be associated with blessing. And in fact, if if you're mourning the loss of something, it, it might be thought of that you, there, some sort of curse came upon you because something fell apart in your life. And as Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's talking about some deeper truth that is at play in the world around us. And oftentimes what we see in this life is kind of the physical and material world. And what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about these things that are blessed. Is that He's saying there's this eternal Uh, realm of the world that we live in. We might call it something spiritual. And it's on this plane that God is working and moving in our world. And so there are times when uh, you might be poor in spirit, but God is with you. There might be times where you're mourning the loss, you're grieving, and in those moments, God shows up in ways that you've never experienced before. This idea of being blessed. It's an interesting word. It comes, it's actually a Greek word. Um, the Greek word is uh, markarios. Markarios. And, and this word uh, is used uh, in a lot of Greek literature. In fact, Homer's Greek uses this word makarios as he describes the immortals of Mount Olympus. So think about that. It's used in the secular Greek as Blessed are those, and he's talking about the immortals of Mount Olympus. And then Jesus starts to use uh, this word. And, and as this word becomes kind of more common in language, it could also mean uh, how fortunate is. So blessed are, how fortunate is someone. Uh, could be meaning uh, congr- congratulations. It could be a congratulations. It could be uh, a sense of happiness but it's a deeper happiness that Jesus talks about. It's not just uh, being happy as an emotion, but essentially it's joy, which is completely independent of all the chances and changes of this life. This blessedness that Jesus talks about is this, this joy that is independent of all the chances and changes of life. So when Jesus talks about joy, blessedness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's this evidence that God is in our life, and it shows up in all sorts of unexpected places. The, uh, the scholar William Barclay says this about this word of blessedness, and, he, and he's talking about how it's this deeper happiness, and he says, the English word for happiness gives its own case away. It contains the root hap, which means chance. Human happiness is something which is dependent on the chances and changes of life. 
something which life may give and which life may also destroy. Christian blessedness is completely untouchable and unassailable. No one said Jesus will take your joy from you. And the Beatitudes speak of that joy which seeks us through our pain, and that joy which sorrow and loss and pain and grief are powerless to touch, that joy which shines through our tears and which nothing in life or death can take away. The world, the world can win its joys. The world can equally lose, well, lose its joys. A change in fortune, a collapse in health, a failure of a plan, the disappointment of an ambition, even the change in weather can take away the fickle joy that the world can give. But the Christian has the serene and untouchable joy which comes from walking forever in the company and in the presence of Jesus Christ. The greatness of the Beatitudes is that they are not some wistful glimpses of some future beauty, and they are not some golden promises of some distant future. They are triumphant shouts of bliss for a permanent joy that nothing in our world can ever take away. So when we think of this blessed life that God offers us, it means his presence that is with us in the midst of whatever circumstances we have. This would have been a revolutionary message for those who first heard it. That, no, you, God is with you, and you are blessed. When we think of blessing in this way, when we think of joy in this way, let's read these words one more time of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you read uh, this list of the Beatitudes, what you'll find is that some of them probably resonate a little bit more than others in your life right now. We're all on this journey. We're all in different places in our journey and our story. None of us are at the end of our story. We're in the midst of that journey. The end of the story is exciting when we have life in Christ. I don't know where you're at in your story right now, but of this list of Beatitudes... You know exactly what's going on. Some of you are, are in mourning uh, because of a deep loss. And maybe it's not uh, necessarily a death. Maybe it is a death. Or maybe it's the loss of, of dreams, the loss of expectations, the loss of relationship. And today, God is with you. Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you feel uh, unspectacular. Maybe you feel like everything that you're doing isn't working out. And there's something wrong with you. And God is with you. Maybe you have this uh, deep desire for, for justice in the world. And you, and you look around and you see all sorts of injustice and terrible things happening to good people. And there's this aching, uh, where is God in the midst of all of this? But God is with you. Jesus says, blessed are, no matter what our circumstances are. 
And my thought is when we think of this kind of blessing, that God is with us, and this kind of blessing that is a joy that is uncircumstantial, the call today is when it comes to our family, how can we reimagine blessing and joy through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount? How do you need to reimagine these beatitudes and how God is interacting with you in your life? The blessings of joy. Maybe your family needs to reimagine blessings of joy. Maybe your family um, is at a place where, like the, the builders of these houses that Jesus talks about, like you feel like you've done everything right, like you put in the formula, you've got the right building material, you've got the right blueprints, um, you've, you've, uh, you're an expert builder even but you're realizing that there's this foundational piece that's missing. And so because of that, there's this, uh, there's this contempt of everything in life. And on the outside, it might look really like shiny and, and good and, and successful, but you know that at any moment, it could be, you could be found out and the whole thing can crumble. I don't know what it is for you. But Jesus invites us to relationship with him where he is with us. And there's blessing that comes from that, of his presence with us. That is the foundation that we can build everything on. Maybe today uh, you need to experience that for the first time. Maybe uh, today you need to be reminded of this foundation that's unshakable that gives a steadfast spirit of joy in the midst of any circumstances. We move to a response of our services. Uh, Every week we center our lives around the communion table. And the communion table is symbolic of this foundation that we build everything on. The communion table represents not what we do or what we try to accomplish in this world, but it represents the work that God has done in this world this work of redeeming and restoring and reconciling all of the pieces that get broken by storms. And so as we move towards communion today, let us be reminded of this foundation of blessing that comes from life with Christ. Also, as we take some time to respond, uh, maybe today uh, we're, we're going to do something a little bit different um, with, with our response time. And uh, we, we do this every now and then, but for, for us as followers of Jesus, uh, we believe there's, there are certain things that are symbolic, like the communion is symbolic of, of something uh, sacred that's happening. Um, another thing that we do is uh, we, we pray over each other and anoint each other with oil. And, uh, and we're going to do that today. This anointing of oil, the oil doesn't represent anything magical or mystical, or it is kind of mystical. Um, but it's not anything goofy. But what it is, though, is the oil is this symbolic uh, representation of God's presence with you. And so if you would like to just have prayer today and say, I'm going through some, some stuff right now. And you want to experience just the blessedness that comes from the presence of God. Um, one of our prayer partners will be over here on the side. He'd love to pray with you and just anoint you with oil. Uh, Whatever it is today, let's center our lives around this foundation of God.
Let us know that we are blessed because of God's presence in our life. And then if you'd like to talk to any of, uh, anyone about just what's going on, I'd love to chat. Uh, but we're going to move to communion, and let's take some time to pray and respond to what God's doing in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus, this revelation of who you are, God, this example of who you are. From the life of Jesus, we see that you are a God of love. We see that you are a God of hope, that you are a God of peace. And we see that in Jesus, we are blessed. And it manifests itself in all sorts of different ways, Lord, and it's not circumstantial. But it's deeper than happiness because it's not just an emotion. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's joy. Lord, we want to experience that today. We just ask that as we move uh, to respond today, Lord, that you would meet us, that we would have this encounter with you and that you would form us into your people. Lord, that you would bless us with your presence. Lord, that you would be our foundation, that you would uh, keep us strong in the midst of storms, that we would be unshakable as pure people. Lord, we give you this time in your sons and we pray. Amen.